Section 33 of The Early Hanoverians by Edward Ellis Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 3, Chapter 4, French Literature, Voltaire and Rousseau. Part 1. The last years of the reign of Louis XIV were simply a period of repression. The glory of the reign was over, a great dullness held the court, and its influence was widely felt. It was not unnatural, therefore, that the news of the old king's death should have been received everywhere with joy, though the exuberance and openness with which this joy was displayed was somewhat surprising. At the death of the king, Voltaire was just of age, and perhaps in no one was the spirit of revolt more strong. The real name of this remarkable man was François-Marie Arouet. The name Voltaire is now believed to be an anagram of Arouet, L, J, Le Jeune, J being regarded as identical with I and U with V. His father was a prosperous notary in Paris who had two sons. The younger Arouet, afterwards Voltaire, was educated in Paris at the famous college Louis Le Grand, then under the Jesuits. In after life, he railed at the education that he received there. Naturally, the notary wished his clever son to succeed him and destined him for the law. But Voltaire had no taste for the law or advocacy, and like so many other men of letters, in spite of his father's strong disapproval, he deserted the legal profession for the freedom of a literary life. That which distinguished Voltaire was a spirit of lively yet bitter mockery. At a very early age, it brought him to the Bastille. It is characteristic of the injustice of the day that the particular satire for which he was first lodged there did not proceed from his pen. Released came after a year's imprisonment, which Voltaire bore with light-hearted philosophy, composing poetry, making a commencement of the poem which afterwards took shape as the Henriade. The first was not, however, Voltaire's only experience of the Bastille. A nobleman said of him insultingly, Who is this young man that talks so loud? He is one, replied Voltaire promptly, who does not drag a big name about with him, but who secures respect for the name that he has. For this biting speech, a brutal revenge was prepared. A week later, Voltaire was summoned to leave the table on the plea that he was wanted for an act of kindness, was seized and beaten by bullies. Voltaire practiced sword exercise and challenged his noble adversary to a duel. The latter accepted, but let the secret be known, and Voltaire was again imprisoned in the Bastille. Released after six months on condition that he would go into exile, he chose England, where he lived some two years, the last year of George I and the first year of George II. It happened that Voltaire had in France made the acquaintance of Bolingbroke, and through him he was now introduced to the people best worth knowing, to Pope, for instance. Newton, whom he regarded as the greatest genius that ever existed, he saw once shortly before Newton died. Voltaire's opinion of England and the English was afterwards conveyed to the world. His feeling is by no means one of unmixed admiration, but may perhaps be best described 
as admiration tempered with mockery. It would have been impossible for a Frenchman who had recently suffered as Voltaire had not to have admired the freedom that he found in England, freedom of speech and freedom before the law, equally impossible for him not to have scoffed at the many anomalies which accompanied freedom in our country. He seems to have had no faith in parliamentary government. In the raillery about the different religious sects in England, there is an evident mixture of admiration for the toleration that produced the variety. Imprisonment in the Bastille made Voltaire very careful in his criticisms of political affairs, rendered him cautious in publication, and anxious to live elsewhere than in France. During his sojourn in England, Voltaire studied the great English writers, and their influence upon his writings and his thought is very marked. This is seen even in his religious views. Voltaire is often described as an atheist, but no description could be more false. In the days of the excesses of the French Revolution, when men had passed far beyond the teaching of Voltaire, the saying ran, Voltaire is a bigot, he believes in a god. In later days, at his Genevan retreat, he built a church with the inscription, Deo erexit Voltaire. It was during his sojourn in England that Voltaire published his great epic, The Henriade, which he had begun during his first imprisonment in the Bastille. The publication was by subscription, Queen Caroline's name being first in the list, and no less than two thousand pounds was collected, which is said to have formed the nucleus of the large fortune that he afterwards amassed. The Henriade became at once popular, and in spite of changes of taste, is still regarded as a great French classic. The poem is written in praise of Henry of Navarre, of all the French kings the best adapted for a national hero. The author thought that he would achieve greatness for his poem by avoiding what he thought the mistakes of his predecessors in epic poetry, yet he borrowed largely from Virgil. Voltaire certainly lacked the first requisite for success, namely the poetical spirit. His poem stands as an instance of the degree of success that can be attained by a very acute mind exercised in the criticism of poetry and possessing great powers of versification, but without real poetical gifts. In shorter poems, what are known as occasional verses, Voltaire is far more successful. Epigram is his fort. Many of these lighter poems are written with remarkable grace as well as epigrammatic force. As a dramatist, again, Voltaire is more successful than as a poet. It is natural that his first attempts should belong to the reigning school of taste. His first play, Edipe, is in the style of Racine, a good imitation. It is classical in subject and strictly obeys the laws of the unities. But a change came over his dramas after his visit to England, where Voltaire read Shakespeare and became acquainted with the English drama and its freedom. Though he described Shakespeare as an inspired barbarian and objected to many things in his plays as in bad taste, yet it is very evident that he learnt much from him. The very name of one of the best of his plays, The Death of Caesar, and still more its plot, shows how deeply he was indebted to the study of Shakespeare. Another of his dramas has a Roman subject, the story of the consul Brutus, whom a sense of duty compelled to put his traitor's sons to death. 
Probably the best of all his plays is Zaire. The scene of this tender tragedy is laid in Palestine. A young Christian girl loves and is loved by the sultan. Turning Mohammedan, she is about to marry him when her father, many years a captive, is suddenly revealed to her, implores her to be true to the Christian faith, and dies. The sultan, in jealousy, thinks her new hesitation to marry is due to her loss of love for him, and stabs her in a frenzy. The play has splendid stage effect and is written in dignified language, but it is not fair to compare it with plays of the great English dramatist. Voltaire is also well known as a historian. His largest history is the age of Louis the Fourteenth, though probably the shorter histories of Charles the Twelfth of Sweden and Peter the Great are more famous. Voltaire cannot be described as an historian of the modern type, a sifter of records, a diligent seeker after fact. As an historian, he has been compared to Livy, and the comparison is just. The object of both is to give a brilliant picture of an epoch, and to write an interesting book. Provided that an anecdote will be an ornament to the writing, it matters little whether it is true. Nor can it be said that we are expecting from Voltaire a treatment of history, the conception of which did not belong to his time. Gibbon was his contemporary, and for some years lived at Lausanne, which is not far from Fernay, on the banks of the Lake of Geneva. Gibbon had prejudices, and in some respects his mind was not unlike Voltaire's. He also was a lord of irony, that master spell. But there is no comparison between Gibbon's industry and Voltaire's. Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire remains one of the great histories of the world. No one now studies Voltaire's books for historical knowledge, though the smaller histories may still be read as models of style. For perspicuous clearness of language and excellence of arrangement, Voltaire cannot be surpassed. Amongst the best of Voltaire's writings, which are distinguished by their extraordinary variety, the palm must be given to the tales of Zadig and Candide. The former is an Eastern tale. Zadig, the hero, is a sort of Eastern Voltaire, who at first suffers many persecutions on account of his desire to do good to his fellow creatures, but lives through them, and having just escaped hanging, is promoted to be Grand Vizier of Babylon. Under his wise rule the kingdom rapidly prospers, but the king grows jealous of the queen's liking for the new vizier, and his misfortunes recommence. Zadig has to escape as a slave and goes through new adventures, but he was born under a lucky star, and ultimately became himself king of Babylon. The story is full of satirical allusions to France, and Voltaire's enemies are introduced into it under disguised names. The book is very wittily and gracefully written. The tale of Candide was the fruit of the earthquake of Lisbon of 1755, a frightful calamity which suddenly overwhelmed more than 50,000 people and set men everywhere a-thinking. The popular philosophy of the day was what is known as optimism, shortly expressed in the phrase of Pope, whatever is, is right. Voltaire had never accepted this doctrine, and when the earthquake took place, he put the question seriously in a philosophical poem on the earthquake of Lisbon. He put it once more with mockery and ridicule, 
in his liveliest and brightest tale, Candide. Is then this earthquake right? In the poem, Voltaire seriously discusses the riddle of the painful earth, and a translation of two lines may be quoted as its final teaching. One day all will be well, such is our hope. All is well here below, this is illusion. On the principle that a jest may hit him who a sermon flies, Candide is intended to give a grotesque view of the same argument. The best of all possible worlds is held up to ridicule. The simple-minded Candide and his preceptor Pangloss in their travels reach Lisbon just before the earthquake from which they suffer. The latter, who is always asserting the excellence of the world, is shortly afterwards hanged by order of the Inquisition. Candide also sees the execution of Admiral Bing in Portsmouth Harbour, the account of which is famous for the phrase, pour encourager les autres. Sneers are freely distributed through the pages of Candide. Its moral, if it has one, has been well described as, be tolerant and cultivate your garden. That is, do diligently the work that comes to your hand. No account of Voltaire would be complete without some reference to his intercourse with Frederick the Great of Prussia. That monarch had a great admiration for Voltaire's writings, and soon after his accession to the throne invited Voltaire to come and see him. Afterwards, he wished him to take up his residence at the court of Berlin. French was the diplomatic language of Europe, and cultivated people in Germany, Frederick amongst the number, despised their own language. The king amused himself by writing poems in French, and he thought Voltaire could assist him in his amusement. At first the two enjoyed each other's society, but quarrels came, and the first feeling was replaced by one less cordial. In the capacity of men of letters, Frederick always regarded the poet as supreme, but from other points of view he seemed a less desirable companion. The latter part of his life, Voltaire, who by careful investments had amassed a large fortune, spent in almost patriarchal splendor at Ferney. He lived till he was eighty-four, and shortly before his death paid a visit to Paris, when going to the theater to hear his last tragedy, he was received with much enthusiasm and was attended to his hotel by a great crowd. His last words in public were from the doorstep of the hotel, you wish to stifle me with roses. A few days later, he died. The influence of Voltaire on his own and succeeding times was so various that it is a little difficult to estimate. Carlyle says that there is not one great thought in all his writings. There are certainly many thoughts on the right side, for beneficence against cruelty, for freedom against tyranny, for common sense against superstition, a passionate love of justice. The strongest element in the composition of Voltaire is wit. Wit may be harmless and may do good, but it may also be a deadly solvent. From its very nature it cannot be constructive, but it may be, and in Voltaire's case it was, destructive. He is not discriminating in his irony and sarcasms. In the France in which Voltaire found himself there was much that required reform or removal, a profligate court, a superstitious, careless, or even immoral priesthood. The people had no liberty. 
the administration of justice was partial and often cruel. Many of these evils were attacked by Voltaire, and many were afterwards swept away by the French Revolution. We may sum up his influence thus. The French Revolution did evil as well as good. One would have been glad if the changes which it brought could have come more smoothly. But on the whole, the world is the better for it, and Voltaire's attacks upon the old order helped to train men's minds for the Revolution. We might prefer that Voltaire had been other than what he was, but the good in him counterbalances the evil. There are still, however, many who look upon him as a sort of incarnation of evil. An epigram by Dr. Young, who wrote The Night Thoughts, gives the orthodox view of his contemporaries about Voltaire. The latter was complaining of the bad taste of Milton's description of sin in The Paradise Lost, and Dr. Young wrote, you are so witty, profligate, and thin, at once we think thee Milton, death, and sin. Victor Hugo, who has the same sympathy for freedom that Voltaire had, yet speaks of him as a missionary of the devil, and Dr. Johnson's view is still the current view in England. This was Dr. Johnson's opinion of his two eminent contemporaries. Speaking of Rousseau, he said, I think him one of the worst of men, a rascal who ought to be hunted out of society as he has been. Three or four nations have expelled him, and it is a shame that he is protected in this country. Rousseau, sir, is a very bad man. I would sooner sign a sentence for his transportation than that of any felon who has gone from the old Bailey these many years. Yes, I should like to have him work in the plantations. Hereupon Boswell asked, Sir, do you think him as bad a man as Voltaire? And Dr. Johnson replied, Why, sir, it is difficult to settle the proportion of iniquity between them. End of section 33